the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Last week's invasion of Ukraine by Russia has thrown global markets into turmoil and seen a spike in the price of oil and gas. EU sanctions against Russia are also causing problems for aircraft lessers based in Ireland. Cliff Taylor and Simon Carswell of the Irish Times will join me shortly to discuss those issues. Russia is also a big market for Irish whiskey, and in the second half of the show, veteran entrepreneur and whiskey maker John Teeling will explain the hit for the sector from the EU sanctions. But first to the impact of the war on global markets and the aircraft leasing sector in Ireland, I began by asking Cliff Taylor to give the latest on the state of play in what has been a rollercoaster week for the markets. Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining Inside Business Now. Since Russia invaded Ukraine last week, it's been a roller coaster ride on the stock markets. Uh, give us the latest update. How are they looking? Yeah, it sure has. And a lot of nervousness around again this morning. Equity prices are okay, but the real action today has been in energy markets. So we've seen a, a big jump in, in oil prices again with the price of a barrel of oil, $110 a barrel to $115 a barrel, really shooting up and what seems to be happening is that the main players are now effectively shunning Russian oil. They're scrambling to uh, get supplies from elsewhere. They're saying, look, we don't want to buy Russian oil. We're not confident trading with Russia. We're not sure if other people are going to want to buy it from us. So it's kind of a knock-on impact of, of the sanctions, I guess, and, and the difficulties they're causing in markets and the wider move away from buying and trading with anything Russian. So we've seen a big increase in oil prices this morning, and that's if sustained, it's going to feed through to the pumps here pretty quickly. The other area where there's been notable action this morning is in wholesale gas markets. Now, this is something that I've certainly learned about for the first time in recent weeks, but the Dutch market is, is the main one in Europe or one of the main ones in Europe. And prices there for, for early delivery of gas, a megawatt hour is the way it's measured, have gone up by about a third again this morning to around 160 uh, euros. Now, to try and put that in some kind of context, wholesale gas has traded at 20, 25 euros a megawatt hour for many years. The end of last year, it was around 80 euros. And that that was the price level, if you like, that fed through to such dramatic increases in home heating prices here and in electricity prices, of course, because we use gas to uh, make a lot of our electricity as well. So the worrying thing now is I think that if these levels are maintained or anything like them, we're going to look at further big hikes in gas prices, and indeed we've seen senior government figures warn about that in recent days. And while the government has said that, you know, it, it has its 200 euro credit in place and it had said it wouldn't act further beyond until the budget, I think we've seen hints from government ministers in recent days that, look, there's talks going on at European level. This is an emergency situation. We'll just have to see whether further action is going to be needed. Yeah, we do have that COVID contingency fund that the government set up in the budget last year. Cliff, I wonder, could they dip into that to help householders out now if energy prices are going to be spiking again? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of leeway. There was quite a lot of leeway left in this year's budget sums, I think, particularly as uh, last year came in so far ahead of schedule. I think a lot of leeway was left on purpose in case the COVID situation deteriorated again or to deal with various contingencies. And as you say, while um, well, this hadn't been foreseen at the time of the last budget, obviously, uh, or the extent of it, I think there is probably cash there if something if something needs to be done you know a few months ago or a month ago even I think Pascal Dunne was holding out against any further action he was saying look we've done what we've done but there's no doubt that what's happened now I think brings it on to a different level 
And it'll be interesting to see whether uh, there are European measures to, for example, allow for emergency cuts in VAT rates or excise levels or whatever. I, I think really everything's been thrown up in the air by the extent of the increases we've seen. And, you know, if this is sustained, I think all previous policy statements can be can be uh, can be taken as invalid in future. And Cliff, given the 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 weight of sanctions uh, now in place against Russia, is there a possibility that Vladimir Putin might simply turn off the tap uh, of uh, gas to Western Europe? Uh, we're heavily dependent on it, and particularly Germany. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this has been the fear in gas markets. And this is one of the reasons why prices have spiked so high over the last couple of days. People are saying, look, the economic sanctions are in place. What are the losses from Putin from doing this? Now, there are losses because the Russian central bank has lost access to a lot of its foreign exchange reserves. So the Russian economy has lost access to a lot of foreign currency, which it may need you know, to pay for imports, to defend the ruble or, or whatever. So the one source that it has still of foreign currency, the one big source is uh, energy exports, gas exports, oil exports. So it remains to be seen uh, what he will do. He knows, I suppose, that this is a weapon that would really hurt Europe. But at the same time, I think as this conflict goes on, the prospect of normal business just continuing with Russia, even on on the energy front, begins, I think, to to look more and more politically difficult for, for the West you know, if if this terrible carnage is, is continuing, can the West continue to buy Russian gas as it is at the moment and provide Putin with uh, with foreign currency for doing so? There were carve-outs agreed in the sanctions for the banks that deal mainly with gas and, and also in terms of the Russian Central Bank reserves, just purely again in terms of energy. But as this thing goes on, I think questions could well be raised or are already being raised, but but well, how sustainable that is that the West is dealing with Russia at all. So there would be very significant pain right across Europe uh, if, if Russian gas was cut off. But uh, perhaps that may be what we're looking at. Now, there are a couple of sectors of Irish industry that are uh, impacted by the sanctions being placed on Russia. One of them is aircraft leasing. And Simon Carswell, you've been uh, covering this uh, this week. Ireland is a big base for aircraft lessors. We're one of the biggest in the world. So there are a number of companies based here who have a big exposure to aircraft leased to Russian companies. Tell us about that. Well, you're right. It's a very significant business in Ireland. It's a multi-billion dollar industry centred here. And so it has an exposure to Russian airline, the Russian airline industry. And in turn, because of the EU sanctions that were announced last week uh, against Russia over its invasion of Ukraine, it therefore, the industry has an exposure to the crisis in Ukraine. It's extremely significant for the industry. And what the lessors have been told, all these companies in Dublin, is that under these sanctions, you have to terminate existing contracts with your Russian customers, with those airline operators in Russia. And this has sparked this frantic scramble to repossess aircraft. And if you look at the sanctions in particular, what they're saying is that it is a blanket ban on all exports related to the aviation industry. So it's not just the sales of aircraft and parts, but it's also the provision of any services. So aircraft leasing is going to be affected. And they're up against it as well in terms of the timing. Um, they're not just forbidden from making any new deals, but the companies have been given 30 days to extricate themselves from the existing contracts they have. And as you say, it's, it's a very significant industry for Ireland. If you look at the Russian airlines uh, industry itself, 
It's about 980 passenger jets and of those about 700, uh, almost 800 in fact, are leased and about two thirds of those planes worth about 10 billion are rented from foreign firms, mostly in Ireland. The one that's most exposed, the company that's based in Dublin, uh, that's most exposed is Aircap. Um, it's the largest uh, aircraft leasing company in the world. And that has about 152 planes in Russia and Ukraine. They're valued at about 2.5 billion. Now, they have said they are lease ending their lease agreements with Russian airlines. Uh, but they're also playing down the exposure, saying it just represents about 5% of their overall assets. Um, but it, it's it's certainly a challenge for them to start getting those aircraft back. After Aircap, you're looking at a Dublin-based firm, uh, SMBC Aviation Capital. They've got about 34 aircraft worth about 1.3 billion. And then after them is Avalon, which is the world's second largest leasing aircraft leasing company. They have about 14 aircraft over there, uh, valued about 300 million. Yeah, so uh, restrictions have been put on Russian aircraft flying through European space. And I see that the Americans are planning the same as well. So I'm not quite sure uh, where the Russians are flying at the moment. But how do you go about repossessing an aircraft given the sanctions that are in place, if they're not coming west, essentially? Well, this is the challenge. It's all well and good saying this on paper and looking at the sanctions, but in practice, it's extremely difficult. The uh, aircraft leasing companies here in Dublin will have to have written to uh, Russian airlines and told them under the sanctions, those aircraft have to be grounded. And then those aircraft have to be recovered. They have to be brought back. And again, that's extremely tricky. Um, not least because the Russians, the Kremlin has indicated that they may introduce retaliatory sanctions against um, uh, the European airline industry and aviation industry. So uh, getting the jets out could be extremely difficult. Uh, the airlines could just say, no, we're not going to uh, send them back to to Europe. Um, we're going to continue flying the planes domestically, for example, so they could still fly within Russia. Uh, or the fears within the industry here is that given... Uh, the deterioration in relations, Russia, the Russian government could just pass its own law and take ownership of these airplanes, requisitioning the title on them. So you're going to get into some very, very tricky ground on this. And this could have a cascading effect. You get into the whole difficult area of insurance. Do the aircraft leasing companies then on the basis of any kind of retaliatory action in Russia that would prevent the planes coming back? Do they then go to their insurers and say, well, um, this is we're back in the kind of realm of political risk insurance. And on that basis, can we make a claim against our insurers? And then could that in turn lead to litigation between the insurers and the aircraft leasing uh, companies? So it's a real concern for the industry. One industry executive said to me this week that he said that it's um, it's unquestionably catastrophic for the industry. So it's, it's really kind of a lot of head scratching going on and a lot of work uh, being done uh, talking to lawyers to try and figure out how to get these jets back. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, Cliff, uh, there's also a lot of Russian money, uh, if you like, uh, flowing through the IFSC. Um, and a, a report this morning by Joe Brennan, uh, about 13 billion of Russian stocks and bonds that were being held by Irish domicile funds last September. I don't know what the current figure is, but how impactful is that in terms of what's going on now at the moment? Yeah, I think it's an issue for Ireland and I guess an issue for all the other big financial centres as well particularly for London. I mean, I guess in terms of the funds industry, funds would typically have had uh, money invested in emerging markets and Russia would have been part of that. And those that have been invested there have had catastrophic losses over the last few days. And I think just as seriously, uh, we'll find it probably impossible to sell the investments they have at the moment. Uh, Russian domestic markets are closed. 
and prices for Russian assets on foreign markets have collapsed. And effectively, I wouldn't think anyone is buying or selling in, in most cases, except at really rock bottom prices. So that is an issue for the funds industry. The other issue then is the Section 110 companies, which appear to have been used in some cases by Russian companies and Russian oligarchs. And, and I think, you know, there, there's no doubt that, uh, that the sanctions will, will be applied in those cases to those spe- specific companies. But it probably does raise a bigger issue for Ireland and for the IFSC as well in terms of how opaque these companies are and how, in fact, it appears to be that the actual ownership of these companies can be very hard to determine, even for regulators. So while these kind of Section 110 companies were set up as kind of a way to hold funds offshore, onshore in in Ireland uh, and earn money for, for advisors and bankers here, I think there's kind of a longer term reputational issue for Ireland now and for other financial centres in terms of how opaque these structures are and how it really isn't clear who the beneficial owners of a lot of these companies are because of the the loans and, and bond uh, transactions they engage in. So I think there are, there are a lot of longer term longer term issues for the, for the IFSE and indeed for other Europe, the other big European financial centres as well. This could be long lasting as well, Cliff, uh, couldn't it? I mean, we don't know how this conflict is going to end, what the resolution is going to be if Russia is successful, let's say, in, in taking Kiev and in deposing the government there, maybe putting in a puppet regime, then you have to imagine that sanctions will be in place against Russia for a very long time. Um, if, on the other hand, some compromises worked out and Ukraine regains its independence, then Putin is going to be hugely embarrassed and humiliated. And it's going to be a very difficult time regardless, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think... It's very hard to game plan it here. Uh, it's very hard to game plan it, obviously, and it kind of reminds reminds one in some ways of the uh, of the COVID crisis, where you know we were reliant on uh, on medical experts and epidemiological experts. I, I guess we're we're reliant now on military experts as well, and diplomatic experts. And you know they're telling us there's no easy way out, and that this, as you say, could escalate, could turn into a long war. Uh, and the, the longer it goes on, obviously, the longer and deeper the economic consequences are going to be. I think the one thing we can say for sure is there's no going back to the status quo ante. Uh, you know, there's no way that some neat solution is found that returns things to the way they were before. That relations between Russia and the West have, you know, changed dramatically. We'll never go back, as you say. Some kind of sanctions may now be in place for the long term. Obviously, we have had sanctions since 2014, but some deeper sanctions may now remain in place with really, uh, with really unpredictable consequences. I mean, the links of Russia to the international economy are a good deal less because of those 2014 sanctions that would have been the case in previous years. So the investment links, the trade links with Europe, I mean, the trade links largely involve Russia exporting oil and gas and importing consumer consumer goods. Their ability to import now is, you know, severely damaged with the ruble collapsing. That's not going to reverse anytime soon. The Ukrainian economy has been destroyed or is in the process of being destroyed. There are big questions now about its long-term food exports. It's a massive food exporter. And there's all the tens of thousands of financial uh, links that we're now starting to see and questions that are starting to be raised around the world. So, so yeah, this changed things in, in, in a way that for now is very hard, to, uh, very hard to predict beyond saying that there's no going back to uh, the way things were and that it's going to have a really, really significant longer-term impact. Yeah, Russia is a prior with the West, but where does China stand, uh, Cliff, and how significant is their position in relation to this going forward? Because as I understand it, uh, Russia not too long ago signed a big energy agreement, supply agreement uh, with China, and it's an obvious trading partner for it now uh, going forward. 
Yeah, it did. And, and a big new pipelines, being big new infrastructure being constructed between the two countries. And as you say, Putin may have may have hoped to get support from China or some kind of uh, tacit support, at least in what he's doing. But there have been statements coming out from China which have been uh, critical of what's happened. And we saw uh, a lead in the Financial Times saying that you know China was now offering itself as a mediator to try and reach a solution. So there's a lot going on, as ever, in the background here, and it's very difficult to see what is actually happening in the diplomatic arena. I think all we can safely say is that the headlines coming out are only kind of scratching the surface of what must be going on in the background. But the big geopolitical experts, you're right, are asking the question, where does China stand in this and what does it mean? What does it mean for, for the future? So I'm just going back to aircraft leasing. Have any of the Irish-based companies successfully taken back ownership of some of these aircraft? They have, but it's only where they were outside Russia. Um, already there were moves taken. A lot of the aircraft leasing companies were looking at where the aircraft were because of the ban on Russian aircraft flying through European airspace. A lot of the Russian aircraft were stranded at international airports. So there were instances where uh, repossessions had already begun. Uh, we One Irish company repossessed a Boeing 727 plane um, that was belonging to Aeroflot's low-cost carrier, Pabita, and they, they managed to get, get hold of that in Istanbul. There's a US company, Aircastle, which has offices in Dublin. They detained a Boeing 777 in Mexico City that was being used by an airline connected to a Russian tour operator. But uh, it's far from straightforward in, in trying to get hold of these aircrafts. Um, Russia is a party to the Cape Town Convention. And this is, that's, that's an international treaty that allows lessors to recover jets if airlines do not pay. But it also protects airlines that lease aircraft uh, where they continue to pay. So it's not straightforward at all that they will be able to take possession. And then often a lot of these repossession cases and recovery cases rely on the cooperation of the courts uh, so they will need the the cooperation of a of a Russian judge in this, and this may not be forthcoming, particularly if uh, if because of the um, the hostile actions that Russia regards being taken against them with the EU sanctions. So it's it's a very difficult situation. One positive that emerged this week was the European Commission made it clear at um at, in briefings this week from Brussels that they will allow exceptions in the regulations that will allow uh, Irish based aircraft leasing companies to fly back from Russia. So essentially uh, uh, waiving in those exceptions the opportunity to get uh, planes back and so they can fly uh, outside of this airspace restriction from Russia. So if they can get hold of them, there's the option there to get them back. But as I say, in the first instance, trying to repossess these um, these planes is far from easy. And is there a sense that they might just simply have to write off the value of these aircraft? Well, they have made that clear. Aircap in a market listing uh, notice this week said that they pointed to past warnings to investors about risks. And they said, we've, we've pointed out before the risks to geopolitical, regulatory and legal exposure of the business. And it has also said to investors that it may encounter obstacles trying to get aircraft back after the leases are terminated. And that is likely to signif uh, significantly incur significant costs in the repossession. So it's going to be costly business, no doubt about that. At the, at the very least, the legal costs are going to be huge to try and get these aircraft back. And if they can't get them back themselves, then you're talking billions of dollars in assets. Yeah. Cliff, the Irish economy was humming nicely. In spite of the pandemic, we came out of it pretty well, in good shape, uh, going along very nicely. Um, and the numbers were, were looking good. And then suddenly we have a, this shock to the world, to the global economy. 
What you know? What might it mean for um, the Irish economy and for uh, the government's uh, budgeting strategy for the rest of this year? Yeah, I mean it's it's entirely dependent on I guess on how long this goes on. But assuming we're in this for a while now, it's going to be a shock to growth. I think there there are two obvious channels to that. One is the impact that higher energy prices are going to have on consumers and businesses. So they're going to mean consumers have less money to spend no matter what government policies are put in place to try and try and protect people from the damage. And it's going to mean extra costs for businesses and they're going to want to pass them on to consumers. So while we had hoped for inflation to try to, you know, to ease off as the year went on, it, it, that now looks, you know, unlikely to happen. And on the contrary, we could be looking at a, a, a pretty nasty spike in, in inflation this year, running right to the end of the year. Uh, so that's bad for the economy bad for confidence, bad for consumer incomes. It's kind of like a tax on the country in favour of countries who are exporting energy. So that's a big that's a big cost to Ireland uh, and to the West. And I suppose then the, the wider and the imponderable question is the impact on confidence and investment here and more widely across Europe in the big markets that are our customers, uh, you know, Germany, France, the big European players. As of now, that's, you know, very hard to forecast beyond saying that clearly there's a there's a significant danger there. They're going to face the same energy shock as we are. They have more exports and more trade with, with Russia than, than we do, although a lot less than would have been the case in previous years. There is a risk of a significant shock to confidence, I think, and, and growth across the world economy this year, albeit that the politics and and diplomacy and conflict of this make it very hard to forecast. OK, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Cliff Taylor and Simon Carswell, thank you for joining Inside Business. Thanks very much. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, I'll be talking to John Teeling about the hit to Irish whiskey from EU sanctions on Russia. Back in a few moments. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Russia is the second biggest export market for Irish whiskey, and it's having to come to terms with the impact of EU sanctions on Moscow following its invasion of Ukraine. John Teeling, who owns the Great Northern Distillery in Dundalk and is a former owner of the Cooley Distillery, joins me now to discuss the impact. Now, John Teeling, thank you for joining Inside Business. You're a man who knows a thing or two about selling a bottle of whiskey overseas. Just tell us what the exposure is for Irish whiskey to the Russian and Ukrainian markets. Sadly, quite a big exposure. Um, it's Eastern Europe, that will be all of Eastern Europe, the former Soviet Union, has been the fastest growing market in the world for the last few years for Irish whiskey. And indeed grew quite substantially during the pandemic, which badly impacted on our big American market and our, Euro, uh, our Western European markets. Th- that market now is the second biggest market in the world for Irish whiskey, um, maybe two million cases a year from very little 10 years ago and with huge potential. So um, now there are more countries other than just Russia, uh, like Poland, Ukraine, uh, the Baltics, the Balkans, the stands. But the, by far and away, the biggest market is mainland, uh, is, is Russia. And that's interesting, John, isn't it? Because I suppose we associate Russia with vodka and, and people being hard vodka drinkers. But they seems, there seems to have been a shift towards premium whiskey and scotch. You're exactly right. Um, what it was, uh, as, as countries develop, they tend to move and per capita income grows. 
they tend to move away from their traditional drink towards imported drinks. And there is a worldwide trend away from vodka towards brown spirits. Brown spirits are the fastest growing spirit in the world other than say tequila, which is small. And uh, this has been happening and it's young people the market for Irish whiskey is 22 to 39, 45% female. It's a fantastic demographic. And that's all over the world, not just in the US or in Africa. And they are moving to imported spirits. And where Irish has a really good advantage in Russia is scotch is not embedded. It's a new market for scotch also. So whereas if you're going in the UK or in France or Holland, 95% of the market for whiskey was scotch. This is not true in Russia. So we're on we're on a more level playing field and, and blossoming as a consequence, that and in other markets. And also uh, Irish whiskey is, is more smooth and mellow than scotch. It seems to have, it does, there's no doubt now from the different countries. It seems to have uh, more acceptance by young drinkers who are used to sweeter tooths, teeth and taste than, than say their parents were. Uh, the same as with bourbon, bourbon is the same. And John, what will the sanctions on Russia mean for the sales of, of Irish whiskey? And who are the big Irish whiskey players in this market? Sadly, I think that'll be quite significant. If nothing else, the, the collapse of the ruble will increase the price of Irish whiskey, which is a premium product anyway, by 50%. And that will have a serious, a serious impact. The second impact, which must be bothering all of those with exposures, is how are they ever going to get paid for what they have already sent? And more importantly, how can you send anything there in the future? So for the for Russia itself, I think the, the reaction will be very severe, which is a problem. The, the big players are, are the big players worldwide in Irish whiskey. Will be um, Irish distillers with Jemison, uh, will be Bushmills, um, which is Jose Cuervo, and will be Tullamore Dew. Um, some of the smaller ones, like my son's companies, uh, Tealing Whiskey, they, they would have rapidly growing sales of premium whiskey there. So it will hurt, and it, it's, it's a pity that it's happened because it's been growing so fast and with, with fabulous potential. Irish whiskey has really been on the march in the last number of years, John. What's going on? Exactly. It's gone from two and a half million cases when I would have looked at it at first and when we would have spoken about it all those years ago to about 13 million cases this year. And I would expect that by 2030, um, it would go to about 25 million. And if you, if you continue on, it's growing at double digit rates. But what's spectacular about it is it's continuing to grow at double digit rates in advanced markets like the US. There's, I think there's no doubt now that Jemison, which was a 30,000 case brand in 2001, will do about five or six million cases there and was going to a 10 million case brand in the US alone. Uh, Irish whiskey has the taste that modern young spirit drinkers want. It is smooth and mellow. It has always been smooth and mellow. Queen Elizabeth I in 1601 wrote to Berry Brothers in Rudd, in a company still existing in Mayfair, said she preferred Irish ishkaba because it was more mellow and less fiery on the stomach. I think maybe all the advertisers should just continue to use that. It's the same thing 420 years later. It's a good product and um, it's accepted by young people. And also there's more innovation in Irish whiskey. We, we, we are, I think we are better now. Scotch is adapting. I, I hope they're really slow at adapting because it's almost 10 times bigger than Irish whiskey. It's 120 million cases against our 13 million cases. Um, but I think that what's happening is there's new markets opening up. If, if you were to ask, uh, you would have been surprised that, that Russia was the second biggest market for Irish whiskey. You might be surprised to know that the, uh, South Africa is the third, up from 5,000 cases to half a million cases. Uh, fourth is Poland itself as part of, of, of Eastern Europe. And then you have rapidly, rapidly growing markets like Nigeria, huge middle-class population, 
moving to imported brown spirits. And even with 60% Muslim population, there's still a lot, 100 million people with middle class. Eastern Africa, East Africa, the Kenya, the Tanzania, rapidly growing. And uh, we're only toes in the water in Asia, which will ultimately be the big markets for Irish whiskey. Um, I think I, I might be kind of um, different from most as I think there's actually going to be a scarcity of Irish whiskey, even with all the new distilleries setting up. Because um, at 30 million cases, you need 120 million litres of, of, of alcohol laid down every year. And there's very barely capacity in the existing industry for that. But we just have a product whose time has come. It was always a good product. It lost its way for a long, long time. And um, young people, that the critical thing here is if you're a marketing guy, young men and young women with, with growing incomes are moving to imported products and whiskey being one of them and tequila uh, and Irish whiskey being primum of that. Some very good companies working in it. I mean, nearly all the multinationals are in it now. And they, of course, have distribution. John, you've been in business a long time and you've done business in various parts of the world over that time. Um, how worried are you about the war that's going on in Russia and Ukraine and the sort of ripple effect it might have on the global economy, but also on the energy market? I wasn't worried because I didn't think it would happen. I don't think I was alone in that. If you'd have spoken to me 10 days ago, I said, surely they're not going to do that. Surely you can't do it. This is Western Europe. This is... Um, uh, Europe is 75 years at peace. What's the... So I was wrong 100% of that, as I think like many other people. Um, I sincerely hope that that there can be accommodation reached. Now, I don't like use of the word accommodation, but there can be a ceasefire in those before too much damage is done. Um, is it going to cause damage? Yes. Is it already causing it? Yes. Um, now, East uh, Western Europe, uh, particularly the Baltics uh, and the Balkans, they must be scared as to what's going to happen there. If anything happens there, NATO is involved. And uh, I listened to part of Biden's speech uh, last night, and he was actually good when he started to talk about America. Uh, and uh, if you were to take the view, America doesn't want to be involved in any war, but he didn't want to be involved in the First World War or the Second World War. If you notice, it came in late in each of those. And this is a horrendous thing to do, to talk to your grandchildren about war. Uh, I'm really upset by it. And I sincerely hope it is short term and it's fixed. Uh, the damage to Russia is definitely going to be long term. This will this will take uh, a while to recover. And I don't know whether this is good or bad for the EU. It's probably good because there's now a common purpose, absolutely common purpose. And um, I hope it doesn't involve more more military situation. I'm very happy with Ireland's neutrality. I'm not so sure we should be getting involved in any of these wars. But it's something that I never anticipated over 50 years of business. I could never believe that this would happen. And what about the energy markets, uh, John? I mean, obviously, Russia is a big provider of energy to Western Europe, particularly Germany. Um, and energy prices have been rising anyway. And we've seen the price of oil go up in the last few days and uh, quite a bit of turmoil in stock markets as well. And you're a man with uh, a few companies uh, listed on the stock market. This is not a good time to be an investor, is it? It's a good time to be in oil and gas if you have production. It's a really good time to do. I mean, they, 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 this is better than, than having your own uh, treasury. Um, uh, you know, $100 oil and, and uh, $37 gas. I mean, that's it was one fifty. So um, I'm just reading something today about Chenier in the States going to make seven billion by exporting LNG this year. Seven billion profit. Um, Russia dominates all of Europe's 
energy supply. And indeed, it's going to be a major supplier to China. Well, it has, it has what would appear to be limitless gas in Siberia. Europe must have that gas. So they're going to look at alternatives now. And the alternative is LNG. So American LNG suppliers and even Qatar and even Australian in, in, in the huge Scarborough fields. They are going to make out like bandits because you need, you must have security of supply. Sadly, sadly, I, I think Ireland lost its way here and they decided to ban offshore gas exploration. And, and yet there, were, there was and is potential to add small fields around the carb field. They are there. They just need to be proven up. And additional ones, smaller ones around the seven heads where you have your existing infrastructure, don't need any planning. It's all there. All you need to do is to drill the wells. But misguided plans by the government uh, has left us very energy sufficient. I, I love them standing up saying uh, we're, we're, we're guaranteed supply from the UK. Are we away with the pixies? Absolutely. The UK also will import gas. So if the UK happens to be short of gas, they're going to continue to supply iron. Of course they will. Yeah, sure. They, they'll allow English homes to have no heating and while they supply it to Ireland. It's insanity. And we really need some, some security. Yeah, wishful thinking, uh, probably. Uh, before I let you go, John, uh, I should just ask you about how uh, your great northern uh, distillery in Knock is getting on, and particularly how you fared during the pandemic. Would you believe we had a very good pandemic? That's a shocking thing to say, and I apologise to anybody else who had tough times. Uh, and it was mainly because Great Northern is a bulk supplier. We supply bulk whiskey to a lot of other people, either to retailers or to other companies developing their own brands. That's all we do. We only supply whiskey. We don't bottle. We don't have labels or anything like that. So our, our customers rose dramatically in the last two years and continue to do so. And um, I, I, that's why I'm, I'm kind of familiar with, we, we would have probably five or six companies supplying into, into Russia and another four supplying to Poland. We hadn't gone into the Ukraine, which, but we had hoped to. And this will be large European um, companies adding Irish whiskey brands to their to their portfolio. So it's been very good time for that. We're expanding and it, it's, it's been a very a good time for us. I've never had remarkably over 50 odd years, as you know, I've never had a business where our marketing consists of answering emails and telephone calls. Um, uh, and uh, it has continued. Now, I know a number of other Irish whiskey companies were busy as well. So it's been a very good market for what we do. Maybe for once I got it more or less right. And I, I think the future as a bulk supplier, you don't need a distillery to have an Irish whiskey brand. Whereas we can supply that for you and do it for you and supply it over years. And that's essentially the mission of the company. But it's been a very good experience so far. We'll hurt marginally on this a little bit. And I only hope, as I said to you earlier, that it's only short term. I really do for everybody that's short term. And John, you mentioned you're in business over 50 years. Any thoughts on retirement? My wife says I can retire when I'm 95, which means I have another 19 years. Um, she means that, by the way. And if you know her, uh, I am enjoying what I'm doing. I don't golf. I don't have horses. I don't have yachts or any of those things. So what would I do? And um, as long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing and as long as I'm able to do what I'm doing, I'm not traveling as much. And a reason for that, well, one, I wasn't able to uh, with the pandemic. But secondly, the opportunity for me at the moment, uh, principal opportunity is in is in the whiskey space, which we hope to continue to grow. All right. Well, we wish you continued success with that. John Teeling, thank you for joining Inside Business. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Good luck. 
Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Simon Carswell and John Teeling. The show was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Uh, remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.